Let's turn together to 2 Kings and chapter 4. And we're commencing to read, please, at the verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're commencing to read at the verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. He, he said to, uh, to him, Say now to her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us uh, with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken to, to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for thee? Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said to her, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may turn and run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It, will, it shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say to her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take thy staff in thine thy hand, and Go thy way, and if thou meet any man, salute him not, and if any man salute thee, answer him not. 
again and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. He, as I passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. And when Elisha was come to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them both and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his eyes on, on his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her and when she was come up in unto him, he said, take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Amen. And we know God will bless the public reading of his word. Let's unite in prayer together. Our Father, we want to thank you this morning uh, for the opportunity to come to the throne of grace and to have the word of God before us. And Lord, I just acknowledge my need of your help. And so I give myself completely, unreservedly to you now. I pray for your cleansing and sanctifying power on my spirit, soul, and body. I pray, Lord, again for the covering, sheltering of the precious blood of Jesus to be upon this gathering, that a wall of fire, Lord, in the spirit realm would be burning brightly round this place. And Lord, I pray tonight that heaven, the words of heaven, the Lord's scent of heaven, the joy of heaven would enter the souls of men and women and young people this day. And I pray, Lord, that you would own this gathering and that the power of God would be present, Lord. I pray in all things that Jesus would be magnified. I pray that his name would be greatly lifted and that as Lord was often prayed in years gone by, that none would be seen save Jesus only. We ask this and thank you for all your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I have entitled this message, The Child Shall Live. The Child Shall Live. Not only is this a literal story, there was obviously such a prophet These events did occur in his life, very life-transforming and wonderful they are. It is a literal story, but it also lays down spiritual instruction and, in a sense, spiritual rules, because the spiritual world has rules. For example, in the natural world, we know the law of gravity. If I drop my Bible, it will fall to the ground. It won't float. That's because of the law of gravity. 
But the Bible is full of laws. One that's very familiar is where God explicitly says, he that exalteth himself shall be humbled, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That is a law. You can't reverse that. And so there are wonderful principles laid down in this story, and we're going to look at some of those in the passage today. But thirdly, and from a personal perspective, this is a prophetic word. And why I say personally is because many years ago when I worked in Lisburn, and there was a particular building that we labored in, which God had opened up for us in a most miraculous way, that there came a day after years of labor that that building closed to us. And that was very disappointing for me for a variety of reasons. But after it closed, we felt that we should pray, but we left it very much in the hands of God. And unexpectedly, a church leader contacted us and said, we have heard that you've lost the building you were in and we want to give you the keys to our building that if you want to pray or you want our minibus. And it was very kind of them. And we saw it very clearly as an indicator from God that we needed to continue to pray because he had so supernaturally opened a building. So we did. And one night, uh, a dear brother and friend, uh, uh, Colin Annett, prayed. And when he prayed, he basically prayed the outskirt of what I'm going to preach today. Because it came with such power and force to my heart that I really knew in my heart that God is speaking to us all. And it just happened that that night, as he prayed, that he gave what God was telling us regarding what we had come out of, what was happening at present, and what would happen in the future. And so it's with those three thoughts in mind that I want to present to you this message, the child shall live. Many years ago, David Wilkerson from New York preached on the death of a promise. And uh, what I would like to, I suppose, extend that slightly is to say, what do you do when promises die? What do you do when promises die? Now you say to me, Alan, what do you mean about the death of a promise or promises dying? Every Christian has a calling from God. That that calling, I believe, is already in them at conception. I believe before they're born, God knows who will become his children, who will choose to follow him. He knows that because he's God. But he places within us a a work. He places within us uh, giftings, at least one. We all have at least one gift. Many have many, many more than that. And they can be uh, developed and accelerated. But whenever God creates a man or woman, they come into his kingdom, very often at that time or subsequent to that, they become aware of a drawing from God. And for some people, this is very, very clear. For other people, it's not just as clear. But it's so important that we follow through and recognize that it's very important that I discover what God's plan is for my life. And that with his grace that I pursue that. Because your plan is unique. And no one can do your particular calling. And I can't do yours. You shouldn't try to emulate or be somebody else. Many people 
unintentionally do that and you try to be someone else. Don't do that. Don't reject your own personality by trying to adopt the personality of somebody you're looking up to because God made you as you are. He loves you as you are. You don't need to be a different person. You simply need to be set apart to God yourself and filled with his presence. And then you will get a face, as it were. A.W. Tozer said that whenever a man is filled with the Holy Spirit, he gets a face. He said he becomes different. He's marked or she's marked. Whereas many people travel the journey of life and they have no face. They have no identity. There's no mark on them. So you need a mark from God upon you. So what do you do? Well, very often God will supernaturally give a a, a promise. God will give an inner witness within of what his calling is on your life. And it can be very clearly relating to something very direct where he gives promises. And I have experienced this. I know in the early days of this work that that happened as well, that there were very clear promises were given regarding what God was planning for the place. And we have to keep that always in our mind and not go off course. And remember, what does God want to do? It's not what we want. And very easily we can be misled with promises and try and articulate and work them out ourselves and try and make them happen. And and we can't do that. They can only happen by God, but there's things we can do. And we'll look at that shortly. So the child shall live. Well, this story commences with a great woman. Now, it's not unlike many marriages today where there's a great woman and not so good a man. (laughs) It just happens. It's lovely if you have your partner and your partner's 100% with you and you're able to pray together, talk together, and share all together uh, concerning the things of God. That's a wonderful thing, but not everybody enjoys that for a variety of reasons. But it is a wonderful and a very precious thing, and it is what God desires for a couple. This woman had advanced spiritually when it's very clear that her husband had not. He probably was too busy. He evidently had more concern for material things and for, we can only suppose that he just didn't have the interest in spiritual things that he should have and that his wife had. But I want you to notice some of the gifts of this woman. The gift that is really pronounced and that becomes the beginning of the story is that she had the great gift of hospitality. Hospitality. In verse 8, it says that the Shunammites saw Elisha walking by and she constrained him to eat bread. She saw this man going by on a regular basis and she opened her home and said, come in. Now, she was a woman with means because they could extend the house. Uh, They weren't short of money. But having a nice house did not prevent her from being hospitable. And you know, we live in a day today when so many of the Lord's people can have lovely homes and so on, but there's no hospitality. Don't want anybody in my house. Don't want anybody walking over my carpet. It's like the late Ivan Thompson, he said one day, he said, I went to a Christian home and he said the carpet was that thick in the living room that I needed a machete to get to the chair. 
You know, we need to be hospitable. Because no matter how nice your home is, I want to tell you that one day that house and that home will fall down. And if you're spending your life and energies in building up a house and possessions and material things, it's okay to have them tidy and nice and all that. But if you can't introduce people, if you can't be bothered with people, your priorities are wrong. Because, my dear friends, life is all about relationships. It's not about things. And I may have told you this recently. I'm getting a bit forgetful now, but the story's still good. A little boy, about 12 or 13, sitting with his dad. He loved racing cars, fascinated with them. The father said to him one day, Son, if you were given the choice, would you have me or the racing car? He sat for a while and thought it through. He said, Dad, I would have you. The father was pleasantly surprised, and he said, Son, why did you say me? He says, Because, Dad, you can love me back. Make sure the things that you're loving can love you back. Don't love things that can't love you back. Cars and houses, land, they'll never love you back. God says in the Ten Commandments, first four, love the Lord thy God. Last six, how to treat your fellow man. What's God all about? Relationships. Relationships. If you're not right in your relationships with man, if you're not paying your bills, if you're not saying sorry to people that you've hurt, if you're not into apologies, forget about the worship of God. You're not going to be that good at it. Because your relationship with your fellow man conveys how you are with God, regardless of whether you sing, I love Jesus every day. It doesn't really matter. The outcome of Christianity and a heart that is right with God is demonstrated in how we treat people and how we have the ability to forgive people. (laughs) I have a dear friend and... um, He's, he's getting older now, and he's been in the Lord's work a long time. I said to him a while back, I said, uh, come on, t- tell me some of your secrets. You've been in the Lord's work a long time. Give me a few secrets. What, what have you learned after all the years of ministry and soul winning and all the things you've done? Tell me something. He said, well, the first thing is you can't help everybody. That's a good lesson because you can burn yourself out trying to help people can't help everybody. But the second thing is, always show mercy. I said, always show, always show mercy. He said, that's an interesting one. Why? Because he said, you never know the day when you'll need mercy. Always be merciful. Well, this woman was hospitable. But not only that, Her spirituality comes through in not only practical goodness, in practically opening her home to people, but also she had discernment. And I want you to notice what she says to her husband. In verse 9, and she said unto her husband, listen, she didn't say, we perceive. You and I have caught on, husband, that this is a holy man of God. No, 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 no. She said, I perceive. She said to her husband, I recognize, I know you don't, 
because she knows he's not in the place he should be spiritually, but she says, I perceive this is a holy man of God. Do you know that's a sermon all on its own, isn't it? I perceive that this is a holy man of God. I'm often reminded of the story in Wales in the uh, later, maybe 1910, 1920, that there was a large meeting been held in Wales, a preacher on the pulpit, and a, a man leading the meeting beside him, and huge auditorium, and uh, uh, the, the vast balcony. And as the preacher's sitting there, he sees a man coming in through the, 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 the upstairs and walking over to the balcony, and he's just fixated on him. And the man sits down quietly into this vast crowd, and he turns to the man, he said, tell me, who is that man sitting there? He said, that man is Evan Roberts. He said, God is with that man. God is with that man. Evan Roberts, of course, was the instrument that God used in the great Welsh revival. But after all those years, the mark of God was upon him. This man had been intimate with God, heard the voice of God, lived in prayer, lived in the presence of God, and even after the revival had passed, he was no longer a, a, a household name in present meetings. Yet when he came in, a foreign preacher said, God is with that man. It was said of Duncan Campbell by people that even people who had never met him again, Duncan Campbell was the instrument that God was pleased to use in the 1949-53 revival. It was said that there were people who just looked at him and an aura of God rested on the man. I remember talking to a preacher. He's now living in, I'm, I'm not sure if he's passed away, but he did live in Canada and I asked him about this many years ago, and he said, no, Alan, that was true. That was true. He said, when you came in, when you were with Duncan Campbell, he carried something of the presence of God, just his presence. You see, my dear friends, this woman had perception, but Alicia had this great anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure you've heard it before, but one with God is always a majority. You know, you can have all the world and all the church against you. But if God is with you, it doesn't matter. As long as God is with you, you'll be safe. Well... Not only was she hospitable, and not only did she discern him to be a holy man of God, but she decided to put an investment into this man. She decided to say to her husband, it's time to spend some cash. Well, I'm sure I'll have to confess, I think all of us men have a problem in that area. And you women will probably, I'll be able to see which ones smile when they say we're going to have to spend money here. And the husband starts to say, well, or I'm not sure now, we need to cut back on that a bit. I think you've been too, uh, maybe would not less do. Well, I'm sure most of us have been through those things. She said to her husband, it's time to invest. 
and she wasn't for getting a no. And she got this investment and she built an extension to the home and it was entirely for the Lord. She did what many are not prepared to do, to put their money out for God. To put their money out for God. To dig into their pocket for the kingdom. To invest in the things that are eternal when there's no physical manifestation of reward here on earth. It's not viewed in the world terms to be a great investment to give too much to God. But the Bible says that if we sow much, we shall reap much. I can't promise there are some, if you listen to American TV, that if you give one-tenth, then you'll get a millionaire, you'll become a millionaire, you'll get a Rolls Royce and you'll have a swimming pool. Uh, I'm afraid that's not true. It might work for a few Americans because, you know, it's an affluent country, but it'll certainly not work in Africa. Not going to work there. No, 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 my friends, always remember that the material things are not really the important things. That's one of the great tragedies of the American evangelical scene. The, it's very often in many cases seen as the route to the American dream of money and affluence. In the Old Testament, men were greatly blessed financially. That was a very real mark of the blessing of God. It was financial But in Colossians, we're told that we're not blessed with material things, but we're blessed with spiritual things. Things that really matter when earth is over and when all these other things have passed away and been, as one man said, they're AFF to me one day. I said, what's AFF? He said, it's all for the fire. That car that you have will one day fill a shock somewhere or should be through the crusher. No matter how much investment you put in it now, it doesn't matter. But better to invest in something that there is genuine heavenly reward. And that doesn't just mean, my friends, money. It means every part of our life. It means our time. It means winning the lost. It means prayer. It means investment of all our talents and all our gifts and all our abilities and everything for the kingdom. Everything for the Lord, so, so that his will is accomplished and that his life flows through our life. So she invested. But then I want you to notice very quickly that th- th- this woman had a child that was given to her. She had been asked about the possibility of um, being known to the king. I mean, these were large offers that were given to her in positions of affluence, but she's a humble woman. She said, no, that doesn't interest me. I'm not interested in big names or meeting big people. You see, again, that exhibits her spirituality. She was in the presence of God. Why would she care to be in the presence of an earthly monarch? Why would she care to be with some great statesman? When every day she could seek God and and God would come and visit her. When you visited and met God and when you meet God regularly, men don't seem as important to you. But my friends, she didn't have a child. So the prophet gave her something 
that she didn't request. She didn't ask for this. She, in fact, was quite the contrary. When he said, you're going to have a child, she said, don't, don't, don't tell me that. My husband's an old man. Come on, don't, don't be joking. No, he said, you'll have the child. And right enough, the child came. And friends, that was the promise. God gave what was unrequested. Didn't ask for it. But you see, the will of God is something you don't, what God's will is, rather, is not something you lay down and say, God, I'll do this, 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 and this for you. If you feel that's the will of God, that's not the will of God, you doing this, 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 this. The will of God is you discovering as you wait before God, God, what is your will? And God won't give you this, 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 and this. What he'll do is he'll give you this. And say, when you do this, then I'll show you this. And when you do this, then I'll show you this. God says, I'm not going to give you a whole run out. But he said, I'll see if you really are in earnest for my will. And if you're willing to do it. And so he gave her the child that she didn't expect. And the will of God's like that. God, God gives us things we don't expect. My friends, I said to my wife the other day in the car, I never dreamed this would be the journey. I never dreamed in a thousand years that the journey we have done, that I never saw it coming. But if that's the will of God, so be it. You see, dear friends, it was promised and then it was given. But then very quickly, she nursed the child. She loved the child. She was fascinated with the child. The promises of God are like that. She prayed over that child. She loved that child. She held that child. It was wonderful. It was everything. It was everything. And she could see the providence of God. The man of God had come. She had showed her kindness. The house was built, the extension. And she's so thrilled. Look what God has given me. Something wonderful. God has done something wonderful for me. I never saw this coming. Promises of God are like that. But then the child takes ill. And dies. And it seems like everything God said is now reversed. It seems like everything God told you, it's every sense around you and every physical sense within you is saying it's not happening. The promise is being taken away. It's how can this be? And so the child takes ill, is sent to the mother, she has it on her knee, and the child dies on her knee. All her hopes were invested in the child, there was no plan B, there was no second child, there was no, everything was in the child, and God takes it away. She's absolutely devastated. She's devastated. God has taken the child. But I want you to notice very importantly her response to the death of the child. I want you first of all to notice what she did with the child. Now in Israel when a child dies to this very day if a person dies they are buried very quickly. Because the body begins to decompose so quickly. What did she do with the child? She brought it into the extension 
of the home. She went up to the bedroom of the man of God. And even though decomposition would commence, she laid the dead child on the man of God's bed. She's not accepting death. (laughs) The facts are there. The child is dead. I mean, you could go out and argue to people, but there's no point. There's no pulse. Not only did she place the boy on the prophet's bed, but look at verse 22. She called to her husband and said, send me with the young man to the man of God and I'll come again. And he said, why are you going? And she said, it's well. Wouldn't you think when the mother is sitting with the dead child and has placed it in the extension of the house, that when the father asks, she sends a message, I want to go to the man of God. Wouldn't you think that whenever he would say, well, it's not time for a particular sacrifice or a festival. What? What's all this about? And she said, it's all well. She doesn't tell him. She doesn't tell him. Was that not really unusual for her not to tell him? No. Well, why did she not tell him? Because he had no faith. He wasn't in any place with God to help her. She knew that if she brought him into the equation, he would begin to wail and cry. And he would begin the proceedings of the funeral. And she knew in her heart that she couldn't let that happen. Now you say, is that that not a bit bizarre? And I'm very aware here as I speak of certain situations I've heard of where people very frequently say, well, I have a word from God and and the person's not going to pass away and, and whatever, and that can happen. But you've got to be very careful when you communicate that a person's not going to die. You need to really make sure that it is from God because a lot of things can be going on inside you where you naturally don't want the person to leave and And it might not just be a spiritual experience of God explaining to you that they'll not die, but it can be what we call your soul, a soulish part of you that that simply doesn't want them to go, and therefore you get a bit confused, and instead of it being your spirit hearing from God, it's, it's simply you deep down wishing and desiring that they'll not pass away, and that can happen, and it's understandable. But do you remember the story of the little girl of 12 that died? And when Jesus came to the house with the disciples, James and John, Peter, James and John, I think, and he arrived at the door and and, and all the women were crying at the door and it was just professional lamentation. And whenever he came to the door, Jesus said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laughed. Boy, did they laugh. (laughs) Did you hear them? (laughs) She's not dead, she's sleeping. And the Bible says he put them all out. He put them all out. He took in the apostles and he sat down beside the little girl and took her by the hand and he said, little girl, 
arise. And she sat up in the bed and he said to the parents, get her something to eat. No more word of the people, but he got unbelief out of the room before the miracle was performed. The spirit of unbelief is a very strong spirit and it really prevents the miracles of God and it's very prevalent in the church. Unbelief. Spirit of unbelief. And many Christians carry it. Very often theologically, not only is it held in the hearts of the people, but theologically it's, it's thrown out from the pulpit. God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't do that. God, that all died with. Now, I'm not here to say ill of any brother or sister in the Lord or any colleague who, who ministers the word. I, I respect them, and they're my brothers and sisters. But I disagree with them. I believe it's very wrong to get up and say God doesn't do that anymore because what you're declaring is you're saying from the pulpit over the people that that doesn't happen. God doesn't do that. And very often in those situations, God doesn't do it. God won't do it. Because like Jesus, when he came to his own city, that he was amazed at their unbelief and he couldn't perform many miracles because of their unbelief. He couldn't do it. So she didn't tell her husband... But who she did tell, she ran to the man of God. And when she got past Elish or Gehazi, she got to the man of God. She fell down at his feet. Now, I want you to see this as well, because this is very important. You know, sometimes people say, why didn't the preacher see that? He's the man of God. He's the elder. Why didn't he get that? This is Elisha, the prophet of fire. This is the man that saw his predecessor go up in a chariot up into heaven. This is the man that was carried, saw the fire of God fall on so many occasions. The wonderful prophet. The wonderful character to preach about. And yet the Bible says whenever he came over, this woman came over the Shunammite and she got a hold of his feet that Gehazi came to push her away. And the man of God turned to him and he said, leave her alone. She, she is a broken spirit. And the Lord hath not revealed it to me. I didn't see it. You can't see everything. You're not meant to see everything. Even great prophets don't see everything. You can only see what God reveals to you. You can only comprehend what the Holy Spirit gives to you. And that can only happen as God's grace is poured on you and as he chooses to reveal. And as you walk with him and you talk with him, then more and more God will speak to you. But he didn't see it. And she said to this man that the child was dead and she broke down and she wept. But she said to him something very interesting and I want you to see her faith that she didn't bury the child. I want you to notice that that she didn't tell her husband. And she said to the man of God, I'm not stopping. And I'm not leaving here until you come. Now you see in today's vocabulary, what does that mean? That means that we don't bury God's promises. Even though everybody else has. We don't bury them. Not only do we not bury them, but also we're not going to share everything that's precious 
with people that have an unbelieving heart. We're not going to share. Nehemiah, the Bible says, he was very careful who he shared what he was doing in building the walls. He didn't share it. He kept, he kept it hidden. And only revealed things as he felt it was wise to reveal. And she said, I'm not going until you come. And what is that? That, Well, that is just simply intercession. That is simply uh, going to the throne of God and saying, God, I won't give up. All I have is the promises of God. Everything has gone against me. My child is dead. There's no sign of life. But Lord, the child is not buried. I haven't been buried. I have it left before you. And Lord, also, I'm I'm not entertaining those with unbelief, but I'm with those who believe. And Lord, I'm believing and I'm, I'm pleading, Lord, you've got to come. Lord, you've got to come and resurrect this child. Lord, it's going to take a miracle to do it. It can't happen any other way. It has to be supernatural. There's no, there's no method can be used. There's no uh, uh, prototype, as it were. There's no book that you can look at and say, well, this is the way it happened in the past. There's no point. This is different. I'm not trying anymore. I'm not going to do anything to try and make this resurrection happen. But Lord, you've got to come. And I'm not giving up until you come. And she knew and he knew that he was going to come. And she held on until he came. And when he came and arrived in the scene, he knew that she had faith. He saw the child on his bed. The bed that he had slept in. And she was bringing to his attention the fact, you're the one who promised the child. Everything of this is to do with God. There's no man in this room because this extension was of God. My perception was of God. Your visitation was of God. The child born was an announcement of God. And the death of the child is also with God. There's no man in it. And I'm throwing it back at God. When you begin to pray like that, my friends, you are beginning to touch the divine. When you begin to call on God like that, in a situation like that, God is going to turn up. God is going to appear. But she didn't know how. Oh, she didn't know how. And so, the Lord does the unexpected. (laughs) I want you to notice in closing that the resurrection was hidden. It was a hidden resurrection. You see, friends, very often when God is going to do something very powerful and significant, it doesn't just blow out into the community. It is already being raised by God in the hearts of those that seek him. 
Behind every revival, behind every move of the Holy Spirit, if you find the right people and talk to them, you'll discover there are those who knew the heart of God, those who were listening privately to God in their prayers, in their homes, and were hearing what God was saying, and they were in tune. They had got the, they had got the right frequency of God, and God was telling them. Hence, whenever Duncan Campbell arrived in the Isle of Lewis, And whenever he came, or initially was invited rather to come, and he said to the minister, the two old ladies and many others who had prayed for the revival, God had spoken to those ladies and told them revival was coming to Lewis and that Duncan Campbell would have to be sent for to come to be the preacher. And so they sent the minister and said, tell Duncan Campbell of the faith mission that revival is coming and he needs to come. And whenever he told, Duncan Campbell replied and said, well, I've got a conference, I have meetings, I'm sorry, but that date won't suit. And the minister returned and said to them, we're sorry, ladies, Mr. Campbell said he can't come. And they replied, Mr. Campbell says that, but God says he'll be here. And he was. You see, my dear friends, there are those who are hearing God. Those who are becoming the vessels through whom the Holy Spirit can flow without any restriction and any limitation as God speaks. For the Bible says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. I want you to notice in closing that the resurrection was hidden, but also it was gradual. It was a gradual resurrection. That's why I have said to people who come to your prayer meetings, and indeed to Bertie, I know it's difficult in continuing to pray three nights a week. I know that's not easy. But my dear friends, awakenings often come gradually. There is a gradual stirring. There is a gradual bringing of the people of God into line with the purposes of God as they pray. As they listen to others praying and confessing their sins. As they begin to pray from their heart instead of just words they have learned over the years. As they begin to repent of the various things in their lives and in their hearts and in their home and in their tongue. And they begin to repent and begin to feel the Spirit of God convicting them. And they begin to change. In that environment, then the Holy Spirit draws them in to what he is doing. And it becomes a gradual resurrection. The man of God lay on top of him. Eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. And initially nothing's happening. The man of God could have walked away. The man of God could have said, that's it. It's not to be. But he didn't. He kept praying. He got off the boy and he walked up and down the room. Oh, to have seen that great prophet. What what it would have been to have been in that room. What it would have been to have read the mind of that great prophet. As he is pleading with God, saying, God, God, you must bring the life of this child back. We need life, Lord. We need life in this room. We need life. This little boy's lungs and heart need to go again. God, we need you to come. And you can hear the pleadings of the great prophet. It is such praying that is necessary to see a move of the Spirit of God in the church. 
It is such praying that, that precedes a revival, that precedes a move of the Holy Spirit on a people or a church or a nation. And so as he prays and lies down on the child, then the heat, oh, the heat begins to enter. <laughs> the heat. <laughs> the child didn't get colder. <laughs> Things didn't get worse. Began to feel heat. God's doing something, but the child's not alive yet. But God's doing something. Don't give up when God's putting a little bit of heat in. Let God bring the heat. Let the heat keep coming in. Let the heat keep coming in. And as you do, my friend, in a moment that he didn't know, that the mother didn't know, that no one would have knew, suddenly the child sneezed. Suddenly the lungs began to move. Suddenly the heart began to beat. Life had come. The Lord had raised him up. The promise that was dead was back. God had done it. You see, my dear friends, when a promise dies, invariably it is always God's method that a promise must die. And the reason it must die is because that when we have given up, and when all our resources and gifts and enablings and finances and everything that we can think of doing to make God move, when that has all failed, and we just lie broken before God and say, God, it's really over to you. But I'm holding on to your promise. It is at that place that God will move in. Dear friends, those of you who are praying, continue to pray. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep encouraging one another to pray and to seek the Lord. Because I believe there is a warming going on in this place. And I trust and pray that that won't go cold, but that there will be a resurrection and that God will breathe on this place and this community and nation. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we come to you now in Jesus' name. And we pray for this congregation. And we ask, Lord, for those, Lord, who are far from you. Those, Lord, who have no real fellowship daily with God. Lord, would you speak to them? And Lord, for those that are living in sin, would you help them to cry out to God? Lord, for those that are really seeking you, would you encourage them and strengthen them within and I ask, Lord, in your great grace and favor, for the sake of this island and for all its inhabitants, Lord, would you be gracious to us, Lord, and pour out your spirit as you have done in the past in these islands. Oh, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.